0: I hear the ticking of the clock I'm lying here, the room's pitch dark I wonder where you are tonight No answer on the telephone And the night goes by so very slow Oh, I hope that it won't end though alone Till now, always got by on my own I never really cared until I met you Then now it chills me to the bone How do I get you alone? How do I get you alone? Alright, that's enough. <laughs> oh my goodness, that was Alone by the great band Heart. A perfect song to encapsulate the dismal, crappy Valentine's Day. <laughs> Good AMP among our moms here. You are listening to the Sturkus Occurrent podcast, the podcast where shit happens. I am alone again. Kobe Arbis uh, bringing you uh great fantastic excellent valentine's day special i hope you guys enjoy this episode uh you can snuggle under the covers with your significant other and listen to a filipino idiot in japan ramble about really stupid esoteric convoluted philosophy perfect way to spend the most romantic time of year uh so but shout out to all the single boys out there (laughs) i feel y'all so in coming well not in coming but in keeping up with the current theme of the day which is love why not talk about the philosophy of love fucking hell how elegant anyway so uh, what I wanted to well this is going to be short since I'll be alone <laughs> as I'm recording this it's 4 a.m. I can't sleep <laughs> but don't worry about it anyway so I'm going so today we're going to be tackling about uh, some of the more philosophical deep aspects of love and hopefully you guys walk away from this episode with a deeper understanding of what it means to be loved and to love to have that connection with something and for reference by the way um if you're wondering why well, what is my definition of love if you're wondering about what that is a uh, it's a difficult question I need to revisit that one of these days but I got around to defining it in relatively simple terms in episode 4 so if you want to if any of you there give a crap about what I think what I actually really think uh, we can we can just revisit that one episode so it's valentine's day a little trivia is that well valentine's day is pretty much like internationally known as like well everyone's couples day but i'm so glad that it's not like an overhyped holiday people still work and whatever (laughs) anyway but you know in japan uh the single life is depressing in Japan because they, the society really does throw you under the bus if you're single. They make you feel like shit. Uh, the whole of winter and spring is like a fucking couple's holiday. There, there, I don't know what it's called in English. Oh, no, in Japanese. But there's Valentine's Day. And then on March, there's this thing called White Day. And basically what happens is uh, in Valentine's Day, it's the, the female takes the lead... And then on March, the male takes the lead. And white day. So, uh, and even before that, you have Christmas. The whole of Christmas in Japan is not a family thing. It's a consumerist thing. <laughs> and it's just an excuse for uh, all these young couples to get, to get together and start having a hanky-panky before the year ends. The whole of spring and winter in Japan is really just a couple's time of year but hey we're here we're we're here to understand the most important relationship of all and that is the relationship with the person in the mirror oh don't quote me on that i actually don't believe that i saw it in a youtube comment and thought it was cheesy anyway so what i wanted to talk about today well i was thinking of like well i wanted to do something a bit uh exciting and valentine's day to say the least, for the podcast. And I wanted to go over some... Well, not some. Well, well, we'll be going over some, but I wanted to go over a specific philosopher who is very criminally underrated to the point where, you know, it's almost a shame. And, well, uh, despite the fact that this 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 guy, uh, pretty much no one knows, knows him, uh, I know him. And I want you guys to know him too. And if you are a Christian, particularly a Catholic, and you are listening to this, you should know this guy because this guy is one of the... This guy kind of helped lay the foundation of contemporary Catholic theology. But that's not really what we're going to discuss right now. Uh, Why I'm bringing this up, the person that we're going to discuss is a philosopher named Max Schaler. I don't know if I pronounced that correctly. So, Max Scheler is a philosopher from Germany. Uh, he has a very German name, of course, Max Scheler. Uh, a lot of his work uh, constitutes uh, sociology, phenomenology, ethics, and anthropology. And he was kind of like a very prominent German intellectual in his time but post-mortem, not a lot of people know him, Uh, so... But the thing about him is that apparently his philosophical influence reigned very strong in the cultural, really subtle sides of the whole discipline. Uh, And he... was best known for redefining a lot of ethical concepts, things like shame and love, and so on and so on, all of these things. Uh, he was basically well-known for uh, synthesizing emotional aspects of personality and values the axiology of a person with classical phenomenology. And wh- if you guys don't remember what phenomenology is, to summarize, phenomenology is the branch of philosophy that deals with, the stru- with structures of experience so so max shaler is very famous because well he inspired one of the greatest christian philosophers of our time and i'm of course talking about pope john paul ii otherwise known as carol uh i can't pronounce this what 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 Tila? what is that what i can't he's polish Pope John Paul II uh, actually did his PhD on Max Shaler. He did a dissertation called An Evaluation of the Possibility of Constructing a Christian Ethics on the Basis of the System of Max Shaler. So much of John Paul II's philosophical background uh, is kind of like predicated on what Mr. Shaler said. So Mr. Shaler We're going to talk about specifically one of Mr. Shaler's essays and particularly this essay concerning obviously the notion of love. So the name of this essay is Love and Knowledge. It was written, well I don't know when it it was written, but I know it was published in 1923. So Mr. Shaler says, and I quote, think about this quote, let this be the overarching quote that kind of like lingers in your heads as we go about discussing this. Love is a bridge from poorer to richer knowledge. So the hell does that mean? So first we need to discuss first that the concept that Mr. Shaler will be playing around with here is love. And philosophically speaking, love has actually had a very consistent definition in so far as you know it's generally concerned so when you look, when you look at love in the sense of philosophy uh many it's one of those concepts that are very hard to define and it's one of those concepts that have idiosyncratic definitions depending on who is the one doing the defining right but we'll go over some of the ones that i think are very influential and Influencing Mr. Shaler's thought. And the first one, and the one that you all gotta know, the best one by default, is Plato's definition of love. So, the Greeks believed in love. In fact, they believed in four kinds of love. But Plato did not buy into that, necessarily. Uh, You can research this on your own time. We're not gonna cover this right now, so... In the dialogue, the symposium, uh, Plato uh, talked about how love came about, how it was formed, and what its essence is, and what its place is in the human psyche, as well as human interaction, right? So, according to uh, Plato, well, Plato is a sort of, lo- well, the, he dances around the definition a lot, but when you talk about love in platonic terms, of course, like, you kind of bring up the idea of a love that is not consummated sexually, platonic love, but that's not necessarily what it means. Platonic love, that's the, that's the contemporary interpretation of platonic love, but platonic love is a love that is very not physical, That's the whole point of platonic love. It's a love that is centered around the being rather than the sectors, rather than aspects of the being. So, uh, he talks So Socrates or Plato through Socrates or Socrates through Plato. (laughs) I don't know. Well, Plato. We'll just say Plato. So, Plato uh, is that Love is... The purpose of love is to direct the human mind into the divine, the spiritual. And uh, Socrates makes an analogy that, well, that love is best manifested in pregnancy or the ability to bear offspring, right? And pregnancy of the body results in children and a pregnancy of the soul results in virtue. That's a very Socrates thing to say, isn't it? Isn't it? like So... The, the pregnancy of the soul results in virtue and thereby creating a better you. It's And anything that uh, sorts of advocates that pregnancy of the soul is something that is worth loving. Now, of course, we cannot talk about Greek love without bringing up the concept of Eros, right? So, So, well, this is not what Plato said, but... One of the people in the symposium, uh, of Pos- Posanias, is that how I pronounce it, uh, said that there were two kinds of eros: the vulgar, dirty, hanky-panky eros, or the er- or earthly love, and the divine, spiritually inclined eros, which is the one that you kind of want to get for. So the hanky-panky eros is nothing more than just a- attraction, material attraction towards things like bodies, physical pleasure. Reproduction. Things that are temporary. And spiritual divine eros is when you start to long for, when you are attracted towards not anymore the body but the form. It transcends the earthly boundaries and instead focuses on that sort of transcendental sublime notion of the thing that you are doing the loving to. right. And that became the pretty much the crux of platonic love. And the thing is, these two kinds of love are connected. They're related. They're all part of the same conscious process of pursuing what you want to love, right? It's all part of human nature. But it's best uh, actually uh, displayed or shown in, well, in the analogy of the ladder of love. So Plato believed in the ladder of love, and it's more of a spectrum than it is a ladder, Because, but it's on a ladder because the way it works is that each step you take relates to a rung on the ladder. So let's say we picture a ladder, all right? So, so let's say that the bottom of the ladder is body and the top of the ladder is soul or divinity and basically when you climb the ladder you start at the bottom it's that phase that you kind of like have to bypass in order to learn how to appreciate deeper and deeper and deeper facets of what you are doing the loving too right so as you climb the ladder you sort of distance yourself from the body and make yourself closer to the soul and eventually when you reach the top that idea of love is no longer uh, attached or connected with the physicality of the object but rather the being itself the essence and it's also worth noting that in the, in, in so far as the Greeks are concerned love equals beauty they're not the same but there was a very they had a very you know they were more or less correlated what is good is beautiful and you should love what is beautiful ideally so very straightforward definition that the greeks gave but how this is important to Scheler's philosophy is the idea that you ought to love something that is intrinsically sublime intrinsically divine not something bound by earthly pleasure that sort of love that you kind of derive based on carnal attraction is shallow and pathetic and nothing more than your human nature telling you to do something it's a basic biological urge and when you apply this you know the most the easiest way to apply this when you is when you're like when you love a person because just, just because you love a person doesn't mean if you love someone that doesn't mean that you have to f- have sex with them right like it might be a good thing it might be a bonus so to speak but it doesn't mean jack, right? It doesn't mean anything. And it's the same thing with crushes. When you look at a crush, you sort of like only look at the superficial, uh, posterior aspects that they put out and not enough of the depth. So think about you climbing a new ladder with every single object and person or anything really that you want to admire or so to speak, love, you know? Imagine that there is a ladder in everything and you climb a new one every time you interact. It's a good way of looking at it, yeah? So another very influential idea of love that sort of inspired Mr. Shaler was Blaise Pascal's definition of love. So, Liz Pascal wrote a a book, well, well, it's not so much a book, but rather a collection of aphorisms called On the Passion of Love, or the full title is Discourse on the Passion of Love. Uh, And uh, the subtitle is uh, An Essay on the Physical Cause of Love. So he has a quote, Uh, Man is born for thought. Therefore he is not a moment without it, but the pure thoughts that would render him happy, if he could always maintain them, weary and oppress him. They make a uniform life to which he cannot adapt himself. He must have excitement and action, that is. It is necessary that he should sometimes be agitated by those passions, the deep and vivid sources of which he feels within his heart. The passions which are best suited to man, and include many others, are love and ambition. They have little connection with each other. Nevertheless, they are often allied, but they mutually weaken, not to say destroy, each other. So, Pascal was, by and large, a uh, kind of a weird thinker in the sense that he was very logical very empirical in his analysis but nevertheless still advocated heavy doses of rationality in his epistemology epistemology or rationalism rather so when pascal says that love uh is uh when he looks at love as a concept love is in essence a sort of how to say it's a consequence, it's a consequence of thought, it's a conse- It's a consequence of uh, man living as an agent in the world, and in Pascal's terms, uh, man needs to know how to harness this consequence. It doesn't come as a result of a uh, as a result of a conceptual awareness of something metaphysical, but rather a sort of development that occurs or not development but an awareness that he arrives at as he goes about his life and we're not gonna mind passion or we're not gonna look at ambition for now but but the thing about uh, pascal is that love is something that is analogous almost to a drug you take it in small doses because Ideally they make you happy, but at the same time they sort of blockade you. They get in the way So in order to So in order to live a life that is productive conducive You shouldn't live a life that is full of this Love and ambition so to speak the passions as he says, but rather you need to live a life that is in pursuit of these passions ideally you want to live a life that will let you pursue these so that it can function in essence as a sort of momentary reward that gets bestowed upon you and so that you don't your technical faculties your sort of uh you know just you being a competent individual isn't weakened in so far as it's concerned right so how does this relate to the platonic definition of love, right? How does it relate, so? So, like, it's very clear that Plato, more or less, did introduce the ethos, the notion that love was a concept that existed metaphysically. But what's important and what ultimately Pascal took from Plato was the notion that love ought to be something that transcends uh physicality something that transcends pure empiricism in the sense that love is something that exists very conceptually and is can come in varying degrees depending on axiology. Love is an axiological constant more than it is a metaphysical constant. And Pascal introduced the notion that love is a sort of processual sort of object, product, whatever. It's a it's a it it's something that is affected by and large by certain externalities rather than it existing as its own independent function, so to speak. So, uh, fast forward many, many, many years, uh, about, uh, about maybe like three centuries or whatever, uh, Husserl introduces the concept of phenomenology, uh, structures of experience. And insofar as this applies to Shaler and his idea of love, uh, it's very easy to look at the the plato pascal idea of love as something that exists depending on a person's experience of the concept and of his experience of life around him right in that essence uh you can very easily structure a sort of framework around that phenomenological framework right so This is the starting point of Shaler's philosophy. So Shaler said that by itself phenomenology was uh, something that was too exclusive in the sense that it sort of focused more on the structural processes of the consciousness and of intellect and that it overlooks some of the fundamental nuances that ground the whole uh the the whole the whole thing you know and he said that this is the experience of love or rather of the human heart the sort of feeling the sort of emotional connection that is derived from that is kind of lost, so to speak. It's not something that is readily uh, findable when using a stock phenomenological framework. So, that notion that love is a bridge from poorer to richer knowledge it revolves around a criticism of the phenomenological method and that Shaler said that phenomenology was too exclusive on the structure and did not account for nuances it was too it was too much it was too broad so to speak and did not sort of surgically examine the smaller intricacies in between the lines so so pascal argued that love was something that was logical so to speak it was something that was dependent very much on the human heart things like that and the logic of the heart is rational but is of a different rationality than that of the intellect but they are nonetheless something that uh exists and should be tempered by human experience and emotion and so on and so on right so shaler use this as the as a starting point and he introduces the concept of the quote unquote spiritual midwife so in shaler's philosophy love is what makes things apparent to experience and is what makes knowledge possible it ties in very neatly with a notion of belief that when you apply the logic of the heart in Pascal's philosophy, in that love is a consequence of the structure of a sort of manner, process, at work. Shaler said that love is the enabler of what makes your empirical ideas apparent. It's the sort of things that say, so to speak, I say that a lot, don't I, so to speak? Close your eyes, right? And imagine that you are in a world of nothingness, okay? And if you burn that image of nothingness to your head, and hypothetically, let's say that this version of you is introduced to the real world, and you are asked to, say, examine the world around you, what makes the world around you apparent is the idea that you have an attachment to the world around you. It's an attachment that was derived By and large, from your experience living in that world and the knowledge you've accumulated living in that surrounding. The more familiar something is, the more you love it. Is that sensible? Because the way that it works is that when you have that sensibility and you extend it towards things, the more familiar, the more knowledge and experience you accumulate with that thing the more your love grows the sturdier the bridge uh, as the analogy he puts out becomes you know and in many ways that that is what love was the spiritual midwife so midwives what do midwives do they help people give birth right so in the sense that spiritual midwife is the thing that gives birth to your ability to experience it's the love is that essential component that sort of helps you conceptualize and arrive at knowledge about the world around you and at the same time it draws you towards knowledge there's a desire to know more about things that are pertinent that are related and it's something that can both manifest itself as knowledge of yourself or knowledge of the world so and so look at it this way i will let's if you if you put it in an equation right let's say let's say that you are you are x and x wants to uh x wants to sort of look uh our so to speak let's say x plus let's say that plus is the act of you the act of you visualizing, visualizing something, uh, perceiving something. So X plus, translate that to UC. And let's say Y is, it can be anything really, but you know, for the theme, of the th- keeping up with the theme of Valentine's, let's say that Y is your significant other. If you, if X plus Y, if you perceive Y, love ought to be that equal sign that enables Uh, z x plus y equals z let's just say that that's the uh, basis that enables z to come into a sort of existence a sort of awareness a sort of uh, it's basically what enables z to manifest in some way be it uh, metaphysically or ontologically whatever but the idea is that love is that thing it's like it's like the compiler that you run your code through Okay, and that idea of love being the midwife is something that you call uh, a primary determinant. The primary determinant is basically the check mark, it's like immigration for your ideas. You, it's what enables you to manifest things like possibility, ethics, fate. And there's a lot, there's another, there's a whole branch of philosophy that goes into the details of what this constitutes. But the primary determinant, right, by and large, is something that comes from a place of, hmm, coffee, sorry, a place of belief. But that's a whole other branch of philosophy, that's a psychological concept belief uh, affirmation that sort of thing but so but the thing was the ability to love Shaler's most important point about the being about the ability to love is that to love is something that is intrinsically human Uh, to love is to be human that's what Shaler says and the thing about being, the thing about Shaler is that his background is primarily anthropological, and that ability to sort of extend value into anything and everything is a very human characteristic. Because if you apply the Pascalian as an adjective, the Pascal framework of logic of heart and logic of intellect, the dichotomization of logic. There are things that have a very pragmatic, useful value and that subscribes the logic of intellect. If we have things that are of very sort of subjective, uh, retroactive, sort of priceless, special, almost artistic kind of value, that's a logic of heart and pascal says that logic of heart too much is too bad it's like a drug it's heroin don't touch that but too little is depressing you need enough of it to temper and fuel your uh, assertion your ability to assert and to work upon the world as an agent of change so uh shaler has a quote philosophy is a love determined movement toward participation in the essential reality of all possibilities and i love this quote because shaler is giving a big fat shout out to all the philosophers out there because philosophers according to shaler are a special kind of lover uh they are participants in what he says is a love determined movement because for because the philosopher deals in reading between the lines uh the philosopher deals with examining the essence as plato likes to put it philosophers are above the rest of the crowd when it comes to the ladder of love because the philosophers go deeper they go beyond the the superficial and they examine the root what the fundamental aspects are so He says that it's a love-determined movement towards a participation in the essential reality of all possibles. Philosophers determine the possibility of things. By and large, uh, they sort of try to figure out the essential reality of whatever their field of interest is, whatever they're working on. And when they do that they are engaging in a labor of love love for what depends but it's love that's the thing it doesn't have to be a love it's just love it's the love that sort of and that sort of allows the philosopher to look at a concept and examine it deeper and you can make a case i can make a case that when i want to think very deeply about something when i want to examine the deepest facets what makes something you know fundamentally work i love that thing when i want to get really deep into a sort of ideology let's like let's take a page out of christianity when i want to look into christianity like i want to learn about the theology what makes it work how to fight the non-believers that sort of thing when i'm getting really really deep into my catechism as a roman catholic it's a labor of love done for Christianity when I want to get into the psychology when I want to know and understand let's say my girlfriend on a very special deep particular level it's a labor of love done out of the need to understand and accumulate more knowledge about that person At the same time, when I read and examine and think and try to synthesize all of these things into a big, bad Hegelian framework, (laughs) so to speak, it's a labor of love done for maybe you can say me or this or that. When you train, practice very hard in the court, trying to perfect your three-pointer shots, it's a labor of love done for basketball and love okay is what determines you to go further and here's my hot take i think you're all philosophers everyone in their own right has the potential to be a philosopher and the thing about is that philosophy is not a discipline philosophy is not an art or a science or anything of that matter philosophy is a movement it's a sort of cause that you champion. It's a state of action that you adopt in order to accumulate more knowledge about something. To participate in us in uh, finding out the potentialities of any given sort of field. Anything, anything, literally anything. If anyone does that in Shaler they are participants in the big bad philosophy movement and in that sense they are all philosophers now tell me that is not beautiful oh my goodness so one of my favorite philosophies about love is max shaler everyone very quick very concise it was not a book it was an essay so we don't there's not much to dig up here but it helps to understand first how to to make it easy how to sort of, uh, uh, how do I say this in English, I don't know, Uh, to sort of like, make distinct categories, the, the, the classical philosophical style of analysis. Uh, divide the concept into categories. That's the whole thing about phenomenology. If you're working with structures, you need to learn how to work with the, the sub-structures or whatever, the sub-parts, right? So, some people might, I think I can draw the line that some people might have a difficulty in uh, in assuming the, phenoma- the phenomenological point of view that Shaler adopts. And phenomenology is hard, I won't lie. It's one of the harder Disciplines of philosophy to adopt, but think of it as, think of it as you playing something like Skyrim or Pokemon, and you have multiple saves across the across the game. At multiple stages and within these multiple stages you have multiple Pokemon that have multiple abilities that work for multiple scenarios that's basically the same now take that Pokemon analogy and apply it to human consciousness that's phenomenology in a nutshell congratulations you did it so so Shaler kind of got forgotten in history which is a really big damn shame uh, but his uh, influence is wrong extremely powerfully in Roman Catholic theology particularly the 21st century no 20th century theology brought about by Pope John Paul II because Shaler's influence on in Roman Catholicism is very simple Remember that equation of. Remember that phenomenal, phenomenological equation I introduced? X plus Y equals Z. I perceive object and equals Z. Uh, that equal sign that the love in Catholicism, quite simply, is God, or in many ways, something like that. Uh, and the thing about Shaler was that he was a very he was very advocative of religion and it's very easy to replace that love I like to think of these concepts like their functions you know in that you can replace them with anything and you can see what happens like it's a big experiment a thought experiment I did this experiment once with uh, some of my friends uh, where I tried to let them where i try to i ask them first and foremost uh if if let's assume that you are working with an f of x and the f of x is let's say the most valuable thing in your life you can replace x with anything hypothetically speaking and you will and try to let them Uh, narrate how their framework fundamentally changes around that. It's the same concept. You take that f of x concept uh, wherein f of x is equal to love and replace f and replace the x and f of x with anything so if you are uh, looking at it from a catholic standpoint let's say that x is love is god very classical christian motif of thinking that christ and god are uh, analogous if not synonymous and completely equal to s- uh, same with love but that's selling it short because i'm sure that i'm not too familiar with pope john paul ii's theology slash philosophy but what i do know is that it's very easy to apply shaler's framework of love with catholic teaching primarily because it's not empirical it assumes the existence of something that exists beyond sensation beyond senses And therefore, beyond experience, it issues uh, the existence of something that exists and and can have its existence verified by the means of rationality, platonic epistemology, that sort of thing. And I'll keep it brief because immediately after this episode airs, we will be discussing a big one with the hosts. So... I hope you guys learned something new today. Very short, very sweet lesson for all the single and taken boys and girls out there. Happy Valentine's Day. Uh, Bless you. (laughs) I guess. this This is Kobe from the Philippines. Single, not quite ready to mingle. I'm busy. Signing off. See ya.